Hi, my name is JC and welcome to the class podcast. We're here to engage in conversation that adds to our mental and emotional toolbox. Every week, I'm going to be joined by one of our teachers as a co-host as we chat with those that inspire us. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. I am happy to share that the one and only Hannah Shelley is my co-host today. Hannah is a teacher and the VP of retail here at the class. Hi, JC. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I've missed you. I know. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a long time since we've been together. For our listeners who don't know, Hannah's been away on maternity leave She welcomed a beautiful little lady into this world in December (laughs) who is precious. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. Um, Edie was born mid-December and I have been taking the last seven weeks. It's been now home with her. It's been a huge transition to say the least. I'm sure. And for the students who've been asking, you're gonna be back on the mat teaching in a few months. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be back teaching. I'm honestly so looking forward to it. I'm going to spend the next few weeks really just nourishing and taking care of myself and Edie and hoping to be back on the mat in April. Well, thanks for being here today. Yeah, of course. Speaking about nourishing and taking care of our bodies, today we're going to talk to Michaela Rubin, who is a nutritional chef and also created the recipes for our winter cleanse program. Yes. And I just adore Michaela. I love the way that she views food. I love the way she talks about food. And in this episode, we talk about listening to your body and how we can start to think about cooking as a way to make time to better nourish ourselves. Absolutely. So let's get into it. So very, 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 very honored to be having time with you, Michaela, because I feel like even though you're a part of the class community, I don't get a lot of one-on-one time with you. So <laughs> secretly, selfishly, I'm excited to just hang with you and be in your space and get and have the listeners get to know you a little bit more. Michaela is one of the most vibrant people that I know. And I don't know you very well, but like every time I see you and every time I think of you, I think of health. I just like my whole body starts to vibrate. And I'm always like, what does this woman do? What does she do to like have that inside out glow and just be radiating health? So I want to know everything that uh, we can do to to vibrate kind of like you. So let's talk a little bit about just how did you get into nutrition and, and cooking? How did this journey begin for you? Um, Well, thanks for having me. It's so fun that it's with you today. Um, (laughs) I was always interested in human body and food, and I didn't entirely know which direction that would take me in. I was a dancer and then a professional rugby player, which is kind of random. (laughs) I think we should pause after professional (laughs) rugby player, because that's a whole other conversation of how we got into that. Oh, but Dancer, professional rugby player. Okay. So very much like moving your body and learning how to optimize performance probably. Very much so. And then when university got hard, I had to choose between rugby 
and school more so. So I chose to do school because I wanted to do pre-med at the time, which turned into an undergrad in kinesiology, which was all human body movement, because that was like the most fun pre-med undergrad. And then I realized that I was way more into the human body than into like the actual doctor version Mm -hmm. of life. So I started or I applied for the master's in physical therapy, which is, so I was on like a major kind of body um, route. But what had happened was in that time, I was always really curious as to why I was learning how to move the biomechanics of the body, but not feed the body. Mm. So this question started to come up for me around the food aspect. And I happened to be dating a pilot for about nine or seven or eight years, something like that. So on weekends and actually starting when I was 15, I wasn't dating him, sorry, but I I started traveling. I was an avid traveler, any opportunity I got. And I found that when I traveled, human connection was found in food. So I would go to eat. I, that's how I kind of connected with my father growing up. I would take cooking classes all over the world. And then when the pilot dating thing started happening, then I was able to travel way far and wide when I had breaks from school. If I had a week off, I'd go to Japan. If I had a week off, I'd go somewhere. So I kind of like used this time to travel and learn about food. Mm. So I was really conflicted with the fact that I was learning so much about food and health, the, the way that these cultures in different places fed themselves. And then it wasn't discussed when I was learning about body. I was like, wait, we did one day of nutrition and I studied the body for 10 years. I'm so confused. Interesting. So that posed the question, which is like the why and what was motivating me. And then my dad had a heart attack and instead of getting a stint, he healed himself by trying every relevant diet for two years And I watched him lose 75 pounds and start running marathons again, all because he found this individual diet using, and like he really went for it. He tried and he would lose weight, but then he, he would lose all of the texture in his skin, but then he would gain some weight back, but using maybe just a vegetarian diet. And then he would introduce, like, it was so beautiful to watch him bounce in and out of these diets. It was like a real human experiment. The ones we're not actually allowed to do, right? Like what happens if you really restrict someone's calories this way? What His heart may get healthy, but his skin falls and his energy is depleted. Because he was doing it to himself, I got to really watch firsthand someone that was using food and the power of it. Um, And so he's great. He's in better shape than I am now. And he's like 75. Amazing. So that was the other thing. And then I ended up, so this is a long-winded answer, but it'll answer everything at once. So I, <laughs> I had finished my degree in kinesiology and I decided to come to Maui and I was working for surfers, helping them a rehab for high performance. And I met a chef down the road from where I happen to be sitting right now because I'm currently recording from Maui again. And I met a chef one day and he, I'd never met a chef that wasn't in a restaurant. So I had realized that food was a passion, but nutritional food was, and there wasn't as many versions of the career that I had started to envision. But I was like, well, I guess I'll just do physio and take nutrition and teach on the side or something. And then I met this chef here by accident one day and he was like, yeah, I travel the world. I'm a nutritional chef. I work with people that are like wanting to put the best, most vibrant food in their body. There's no structure to it. 
the jobs take me far and wide. And I was like, what is this? Mm. I ended up having to start my master's at that point, but he started to train me how to cook the month before I left on Maui. And then I went and I did 10 months of the initial master's program. And he called me 10 months later and said, listen, we've got a celebrity coming to the city you live in, in Canada. I need, I need a chef to stand in because I can't make it. Can I train you? And that was the beginning of the end. I dropped out of my master's right before I was done. And he trained me how to cook. And then it just continued from there. And that's how I started this 10, 12 years ago. Wow. It's so interesting, Michaela, to hear the background, just to give a little bit of background. Um, one of the things that I work on inside the class walls, in addition to teaching, is our cleanse program. So Michaela and I have worked together in creating that program. And one of the things that I didn't know until right now is what you talked about and your father and how you watch food affect his health. And interestingly enough, I also had a similar experience growing up. My mom actually had breast cancer and she went through all of the typical medical procedures and whatnot and chemotherapy and radiation and none of those things worked. And she's a doctor herself too. And similarly did not have any type of education around food. And after all of these more traditional things didn't work for her, and I was a kid at the time, so I don't really remember it, but my mom decided to go the holistic route instead. And I remember our family transitioning to a completely vegan macrobiotic diet, learning about Japanese food culture, going on these strange trips to the Mishiokushi conferences <laughs> at seven years old. And she healed herself through wow. food. Yeah. And she had three little kids at the time. And so it's just this magnificent healing mechanism that is, I feel like, not talked about as much as it should be in the wellness industry and in, in the sciences as well. So I sort of just connected the dots now that now I'm working on this food program with the class, but this idea of food as a healing modality and mechanism has also been in my family for a really long time. That's cool. So beautiful just to really hear that the prevention of disease through food, which is very much what you believe in, Michaela, and that that's mm -hmm. the most powerful option we have. And then Hannah, you getting to see it in a real-time life experience. You're right. I think one of the things that I often think about with food and wellness that we don't talk enough about is that the healing that can come together through the body that way, where many of us may have had a relationship with food where it's more about a punishment and we are using the physical body, whether you're in a performance-based profession or just as a personal practitioner of moving your body for practice, that we ask so much of it. You know, it, We ask so much of it, even just on a daily basis to work and the organs to go and all of the things and then missing how nutrition and fits in to the body and how those two things can, can work together in this beautiful harmony. It's really exciting to, to chat about that. Yeah, I think we've overcomplicated it in many ways. Like a carrot or a broccoli, it naturally provides so much that is so good for the human body. But I think we, we just try to overcomplicate everything we do. We want to cook it differently or change it or we've come so far from the basics. In terms of food, we've come so far. So 
the carrot and the broccoli provide these essential nutrients. And we just need to kind of like learn how to master the vegetable. And I think across all the diets and all of the culture that we live in, there's one kind of common theme and it's eat a lot of plants. Like regardless of whether you're a pescatarian or you're a vegan or you love red meat, and that's completely your, your judgment call, whatever feels good for your own body. But there's one thing that across the board is good in no matter what diet or approach it is. And that is eat a lot of vegetables, understand them. And that's mm. what I got from my dad's thing too. And where he landed after trying the 15 diets, it was, they want me to eat a lot of vegetables, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of what I classify myself as at this point. And he was like, well, I took this from this. I'm still going to eat turkey, but I like grains for me. And I, it was so interesting. He took his own unique approach, which again, I think where, is where we kind of overcomplicate too. We're trying to figure out which diet works best for us when really you're your own diet, whatever you want, what works for your unique body. It's your own personal approach. It's hard to fit in a box, which is where I think we've overcomplicated as well. Get to know your vegetables, get to know yourself, move forward, see what happens. (laughs) I think that's so interesting too, because I feel like there are so many times where JC, what you said about like kind of using food as a punishment or where we set really strict guidelines around like what we can and cannot eat for whatever reason that is. And I think just that concept of how we can sometimes think about food where you won't allow yourself and you deprive yourself of something for a good reason or not can create a really toxic relationship with food where you have all these rules that you have to follow, it starts to become really difficult. And I found at least for me, listening to your own body and trying to understand like what it is that you actually do need or do want to consume when there's so much noise around like what you can and can't have, it gets really difficult to like hear that. Yeah. And, and I think there's also a beautiful balance in being educated and what feels good for your body and also like balance in your approach to it. Because I think food can keep us in a bit of a jail when we are so restrictive. You know, it's funny, I got a juice yesterday from this local market that has apple in it. And in my training, I'm like, you should avoid juice with sugar in it. And I was like, but I kind of, I want that one. It's the one I want. And I'm like, it's still good for me. Like, what are we doing here? It was like this Mm -hmm. funny internal debate of, well, Mm -hmm. there's apple in it. Can you take the apple out? No, we've juiced them all. I was like, okay, like I'm going to accept this. And also like, stop this. I want it. It feels good. That's what I'm going for. Moving on. End story inside brain being like, well, we did read somewhere that the effect, and I'm like, then go for a run. What what do you you want from me? Like, not that that's what I actually ended up doing. I was just like, I feel like if we are relatively active and we eat things that feel good to our bodies and we don't live in this restrictive jail wall of can't touch this, this will hurt me, this makes me fat, whatever it is, I think that there's a really beautiful medium world that we can live in there again that isn't, that's bad for me. Like I think right away, if it's shown to be good for you in the science, let's go back to vegetables. Don't be scared of vegetables. If it's a starchy vegetable or not a starchy starchy vegetable, does it have this many grams of sugar yeah. or whatever? Yeah, be gentle. And, and also, if I am going to eat French fries or if I'm going out for a big dinner, I just know that that next morning I might put a couple extra handfuls of greens in. Like It feels better if right. I've gone to town one night. I'm going to just give my body a break or digestively somehow let it have space mm-hmm. to kind of move again. Whereas 
I don't believe in living in a world of restriction. I think that there's an educated awareness and a really gentle way we can move through the culture of food. And tapping into how things make you feel. I mean, that's a lot of the conversations we talk about in class of, Mm -hmm. you know, how you're feeling and what's coming up and what is that you need and, and learning how to listen to your body in such a way that you can continue to write your own prescriptions for yourself. Do you, because I know a lot of what you help other people learn is to tune into that feeling and food can be talked about very much from just a nutritional place in terms of like calories and what the content of it is. But what I'm really hearing from you and what I love is that you're helping people feel into an energy of the food rather than reading, which of course, reading labels and understanding what's in your food is very important, but getting past what the numbers may say or what the label says and into the energy of food. So do you, yeah, do you believe you can eat based off of vibration of food? I believe that we are very fluid humans. And at different times of the month, when you're tired based on how much you're exercising, like I've watched my body do really well with certain things at some time and not at others. And so I think if I'm stressed, my digestive enzymes don't work with me as well. And therefore, when I eat raw salads or smoothies, I get bloated, which is counterintuitive to what we would think. Whereas like cooked yam and sauteed greens, that kind of food are my best friends. So like, I think that there's an energetic of the food that we can trust in. And also, again, like just our own unique flow. I have done really well listening to that. Even when I make recipes for the class, I need to know that each person can trust in themselves being like, you know, raw garlic and I, we haven't been going that well or doing that well right now. So take full freedom, eliminate it from the recipe. They'll still be a great base structure to work from. For me, I don't do well with red pepper, but people love it sometimes. So like, I just kind of create recipes with like a basic pillar. I invite people to go in and be like, onions, garlic, not today. Or like, I see you chickpea. We're not friends this month. Whatever that is, go in and follow the outline, but then trust yourself in it. It's a very much a unique journey. And like on days when I need French fries, I trust that too. It's, it is just what it is. We're always looking for, tell me what's right. Tell me which oil is best. Tell me, is coconut oil the only thing I should? There's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of fear pumped into the world of food because there is money to be made. Anywhere that you can put fear in, then you can kind of sell a product. I love the class's approach to food. It's like, here's a cleanse. I do that with a lot of my clients and and stuff too. Here's an outline. Follow it if it feels good. But have your way with the recipes. They're yours to play with. It's not, these rules aren't structured and strict for you to be jailed by. Totally. And I think it's interesting because we've together created this framework for people to explore the relationship with food. And I think that what we're aiming to do is to create a structure for people to work within because when there's too much freedom, we sometimes don't know where to go. So we give them this really basic structure to start. And then exactly what you said, here are some beautiful recipes to work as a starting place and putting the trust in whoever is doing this to modify it as they need. And it's the same as the class, step onto the mat, 
You Mm -hmm. can take what you want. You can leave what you don't. You can work with what's happening for you. And it's the same thing here. And we've tried to weave in, besides just the food aspect, different detox practices, different rituals to incorporate, and to uh, let it be an exploration for yourself to discover what feels good for you and what doesn't, and to let that be the roadmap as opposed to you can't do this and you can't do that and you have to eat this. So it's about having a conversation with yourself. But I'm, I'm interested, Michaela, to hear from you around the seasonality aspect of food, because I think one thing, we're so global now, you can go to the grocery store and you can get your summer berries in the middle of winter. We have access to so much. And one of the things that we wanted to do, we want to do in the cleanse program is allow it to be a seasonal eating program that is relevant to the seasons that we're in. And I'm just curious around like your thought process, is that important seasonality of food when we're eating and when we're doing these types of cleanses? This is a hard question for me to answer (laughs) because... (laughs) Because I believe that in in a different world, we would eat a lot more with the local foods that are grown near us. And again, we wouldn't be scared of focusing more on starchy root vegetables in the winter because that's kind of what we have to work with. And in the summer, it would be more like lighter salad, really vibrant colors. So I, I think in a world that is different, we would be much more reliant on the foods that grow locally to us let's say like bringing it back to the cleanse for the class, you know, we did try to highlight a lot of ingredients that are local or available in the winter season, let's say. In New York, there's not as many big farms and gardens happening, but (laughs) let's say, let's say. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Like we did try to focus on certain ingredients that you can find and less on real summer-based tropical ingredients. Like we didn't have mango in a smoothie. We tried to move from that, and I believe that if, if we can eat vegetables that are grown in the seasons, I do believe that that is better for the body and better for the environment in general, too. Having beets on salad in the winter is a good move versus mm-hmm. if we veer away from some of the things we're used to. So I think I would also probably have you know more cooked, less salads in winters, mm-hmm. and we did veer a little bit on that, but again... People still have the, they identify with health, lots of salads and things, which Mm. to move someone's mind frame into trusting, you also still have to show up with the right things. If I was like, here's 10 days of blended soups and like mashed potatoes, they'd be like, no, (laughs) (laughs) they they wouldn't necessarily view that as a, as a reset or a cleanse to their body. So there's a fine balance. We did a couple soupy things and a couple warm things to Mm -hmm. to stick on that and bring in some seasonal vegetables. But we also did fit inside the structure of what we view as health, which is bringing in like lots of fibrous foods, which is, but we still did salads and things that weren't always in season. I think there's a very fine balance because we have so much access. I think you guys did a really good job, the parameters that we set which is like, you know, bring in as many ingredients as we can. But if the avocado makes it into a dish, it's not the end of the world either. Mm. I think you did a really great job. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. So for, for the listeners that don't know what the cleanse is, what is it? How many days is it? What, what, are, we, what are we doing? So at its most basic level, the cleanse is a 10-day seasonal 
eating program that is an opportunity for us to look at and get curious about our relationship to food. And through the daily rituals and routines and the recipes that are provided, we're looking to create a healthy vessel in the mind, body, and in the heart and the spirit to reside in. So we've created this 10-day framework for people to explore different types of routines and rituals. Some of them are tongue scraping and dry brushing, different tonic. What else do we have? Hydrotherapy, belly roll. Um, There's also a 10-day movement sequence that's designed to go along with each of the days. And that's actually taught by our teacher, Raj Barker. And it's really an incredible complement or supplement to the program because one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is we suggest people to cut out caffeine, which is obviously its own. (laughs) We could talk about that on its own. Um, (laughs) Caffeine, alcohol, refined sugars, gluten, and red meat. So depending on where you're starting from, that can be a really difficult place. And there is some element of withdrawal from all of these things that we put in our bodies all the time. So the the movement piece of it, Raj is so intimately familiar with what that feels like. So as she guides the movement through each day of the cleanse, she knows so well what what you might be experiencing. So whether you need something that's high energy, whether you need something that's softer and more grounding, she's going to lead you through that. And like Michaela talked about, the way that we think about this is not in one size fits all program at all. It's like, here's our suggested meal plans. Here are some beautiful recipes to work with, some routines and rituals to try out. And you see what fits and you see what feels good. And then at the end of the 10 days, like you decide like what you want to take forward with you and what you want to leave behind. So it just is a really nice way to reset And it's funny, even just the word, the cleanse is something we talk about internally a lot. And maybe there's not a perfect word for it, but I think sometimes we think about the idea of a cleanse and it signifies that something at one point was dirty that needs to be cleaned out. And Mm. and it's really not how we think about the cleanse at all. It's about nourishing your body. And that's sort of, we should call it the nourishment, you know, it's... (laughs) It's just another way to connect to our bodies and to see what things are affecting us and what we want to take forward with us and what we want to leave behind. And having the opportunity to be able to make the recipes yourself, I think is such a big part of it. I think that is such a great ritual and practice to be with your food which can be something that we get very far (laughs) away from. It's much easier to call it in. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's one thing we worked with Michaela really closely on is creating recipes that are still accessible. And we tried for the most part for all of them to be under 10 ingredients. We're not asking people to find their really obscure health food store and buy 50 different things you've never heard of. We're talking about real food that you can get at your grocery store and you can do this. You can chop up the vegetables and make the soup. And so that was another really big thing as we wanted what we created to be doable. So yeah, 
I really like the the creation of the recipes being achievable, accessible, and not so complicated. I think that really inspires the person exploring their relationship with food and cooking to realize that it's it's possible. And the idea that you also did five days with fish and egg and then five days completely plant-based. So I think that's such a unique opportunity as well for someone to explore their relationship with how different foods make them feel a certain way, which is why the cleanse is such a funny word. Maybe you're cleansing ideas of previous ideas of what you thought your relationship was like. Mm -hmm. I can't cook. I don't know how to use vegetables and I'm scared of plants. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So, so all of a sudden you're like, wow, I just did five days of plant-based. Didn't think I could feel full in that. And I just randomly cooked 20 recipes for myself in the last 10 days. And now I feel proficient with a knife. Who knew? Imagine, right? That's what I think is so beautiful about jumping into the cleanse program. It embodies so many other aspects beyond just feeling good. It is like a teaching practice. You would come away with so much more education. So in these, I mean, I know you touched on it of there's just so much information out there. There's a zillion diets. It's gluten's bad, gluten's good, don't eat meat, eat meat, <laughs> stop sugar, stop caffeine. There's just so much information. And I know we're getting into this place where it's really about listening to your body, deep listening and understanding your makeup and what works for you. But if you could say a couple of things that without overthinking anything like I know you mentioned eating more vegetables, just like two to three things that have dramatically shifted your own vitality and that you've seen in your other clients. I mean, you've worked with so many incredible people. You have like the most glowing reviews (laughs) on your your website. But I think for many of us, we struggle with there's just so much information and it becomes this daunting task of getting into wellness and nutrition. But just a couple of things that you really feel have dramatically shifted your well your well-being. A few things that I've noticed that have fundamentally changed my health have been and my clients' health have been reducing all sugars. And that's not in fruit sugar, that's like adding refined sugar. There's nowhere that I can show you in literature that adding sugar to your food is good. Mm-hmm. We know that. There's some up for debate. Mm-hmm. I eat eggs, someone can have a very great conversation about how eggs aren't good. Mm-hmm. We can debate a lot of things. We can't debate sugar. Mm-hmm. That one for right across the board, I noticed people's energy levels stay more consistent. Weight gain is more controlled. Sugars, totally um, removing that. I've noticed that introducing some form of leafy green at all meals also helps with digestion, controlling blood sugar, feeling full and feeling nourished. So I do a lot of leafy greens, no sugar. And then for my clients, I let them tell me what their preferences are. Like, do you eat fish? Does that feel good? And then that part I feel like is up to the own personal Mm -hmm. body. That's where I don't know if there's a right or a wrong. I think it is very much just trusting in what you need. But I think that in particular, like the cutting out sugar, I'm not going to talk about caffeine because 
I'm not willing to give that up. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> me either. either. <laughs> me either. I'm like, I'm not going to touch that one. Every time I read a study, I'm like, bye, <laughs> not today. <laughs> I just focus on the ones where it's like antioxidants and great for your brain health and yeah. like all yeah. the things. I think it's interesting to think about or to talk about because it's the idea of these things that we reach for as crutch. So there's nothing like inherently wrong with having your cup of coffee in the morning. That feels really good, but it starts to become something to maybe look at when the moment you start to feel uncomfortable or there's something that starts to show up for you. And rather than taking the time or this, giving yourself the space to maybe explore what that is, you're in your cabinet getting the sugar thing or like getting another (laughs) cup of coffee or whatever it is. None of these things are necessarily inherently bad. It's how do we use them and when are we reaching for them? Same thing with wine. It's like if that glass of wine feels really nice for you a few times a week, whatever it is, how can we look at the relationship to that item as opposed to like, what does that item itself mean? Is it right or wrong? Right. Right. There's one other thing that comes to mind before we jump off this topic is that I noticed that people's health, there's such a huge shift depending on how much they're cooking for themselves versus how much they're eating out at restaurants. Yeah. And so I would say like for my personal body, that's when I really am like, wow, I don't know even really what I'm putting into my body. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, you can't control sugar. Like at home, I'm like, oh, I don't add sugar to my own personal pad time. That's my compromise. But then I go out and I'm like, ooh, I love that. And I eat so much of it. I feel funny after. And I know that it's because I can't control. And it's not, control is not the right word. I don't really like the connotations around it, but I love to know What's what in goes it? in my body. Yeah. So I have a rule, like if I do eat out at night, because New York's fabulous and it's fun and you do that, and maybe one day we will enjoy restaurants the way we used to. <laughs> I love eating out, but I also know that in that day, I need to be extra mindful about how I set myself up for that experience because I don't know what's added in and I, there's no knowledge. Whereas I feel like if you're at home and you're throwing something together, Mm. that's where I think it's full permission to relax. You know what you're putting in your body. Don't get so caught in like the structure of it more just Mm. enjoy. Cause I think that's where, when we speak about quality of ingredients, that's really where I notice with my clients, I can make them the same thing that they would eat out at a restaurant. But when I make it for them, I know what I'm using when it comes to the oils. I know that the greens I'm picking are sourced this way or the organic or whatever it is. Or I just, I know that I've made certain decisions along the way that set them up for success. And so that for me, I'm pretty committed to like eating at least one of my meals every single day at home. And then Mm -hmm. maybe one out if I'm traveling, if I'm at home, then I just usually cook for myself. But I have those moments where I'm like, I'm done in the kitchen today. Thank you very much. I'm ordering something. I don't care. And that's, I, it's unrealistic. And I'm a chef. Like it's very easy for me to create something and I still don't like it. So I think the gentle balance of just learning how to understand what you're putting in your body and the more you can cook for yourself, the better. That helps with the idea of eliminating sugars. Right away, if you cook one meal a day for yourself at home, you're eliminating a lot of excess sugar, chemicals, refined, everything that kind of goes into the food. So I I think bringing it back to the cleanse, it's beautiful because you walk away and you'll notice a difference regardless of anything, just because you're cooking for yourself. So your body will adjust, your face will feel vibrant because you are using quality ingredients every day. And that's kind of a reset in itself. 
Yeah. And JC, you, you touched on this before. I think one of the things I've discovered through cooking is that I didn't really think about is the actual like art uh, process of cooking can be really meditative on its own. And that's just not something that has been a part of what you do. Even having the opportunity to just try that and see how it feels to cook might be surprising as well. Because sometimes if we think about it, we create the pattern that cooking is a chore or I'm too busy to do it. And then we actually get out of our own way and we and we cook something. I find myself really enjoying the experience. There was a, the beginning of the pandemic. I was like giving a lot more recipes and engaging with the online audience a lot. And so many people wrote and said, I had no idea that this was a form of stress release for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's so amazing. It was the most common report that I got back about the recipe was like, that was so fun. I enjoyed it. I felt so good feeding Mm -hmm. myself. And I was like, wow, what a beautiful opportunity if we're looking at the silver linings for people to turn in and and re-identify what their relationship is with cooking for themselves and feeding and food and nourishment and what that relationship looks like. Because I think it did bring so much for people. At the end of the day, like listening to music and chopping celery became my favorite thing to do. And I was like, Mm. as a chef, that's not mine because that's (laughs) a a job for me. So I'm like, that's so interesting that so many people came back. Also, when you talk about skills in a human and building confidence and building self-worth and you picture, let's say like task at hand and you're scared of the task and maybe the task is the recipe, just looking at the way the brain works, doing these small tasks. So chopping into the celery or the onion is the first task. And then you get to the recipe along the way, you're actually, you're enabling and helping an experience and the neurons grow to a reward. You're eventually going to repattern and actually build self-worth over time when you set out to do something and you finish it. And Mm. there's something in that that I don't think we talk about as well, which is if you start to move and get over these hurdles that cooking may be, you actually walk away with more self-worth that you can apply to everything. Man, I, I mastered that. Like That was the second most common thing that people wrote was, I've never thought to cut broccoli like that. And now I do it every time. And now I've mastered this broccoli chopping. And I'm, again, I'm like, this is a wild thing to watch. But they're like, well, now give me something more. I'm, I can do anything. And I'm like, well, look at the psychology of that. Because that is something really unique, especially at a time where people are alone and let's work on the mind and setting small goals to build happiness and self-worth through food, which I think, again, the class cleanse does a really good job of. Beautiful. Beautiful. When we bring in food and nutrition there, I'm sure many people that you work with that are still struggling or may be struggling working with body image and unhealthy eating habits. Is there something that you found and your experience working with people that created an opening there where there could be a shift with food when it can be very much stuck in an unhealthy body image or unhealthy eating habits? Big question. I noticed that the trust and stress. So if someone could start to trust that this was good for them, that would start to penetrate through a fortress that they had learned that maybe this wasn't going to fuel their bodies appropriately or nourish is a better word. 
And as the trust would build, the stress would decrease. And so I think that it's finding that tipping point where, so when I work with someone that has struggled in the past with eating disorders, they have to trust me. They have to trust that I'm taking care of and have considered for them calories and nutrients and that I'm I'm not going to feed them accidentally 8,000 calories one day. Like they mm-hmm. need to trust that I have knowledge and skill. I watch as the trust goes up, the stress goes down, and then mm. you can reframe the relationship with the food. Because the irony is that when we have a stressed relationship with food, I believe you could be eating every health food in the world. But if you hate the food that you're putting in your body and it stresses you out, you will not have positive results. Right. Trusting. And if that trust is knowing how to cook for yourself, if that trust is educating yourself on how good these ingredients are for you, whatever that is, the trust has to go up for the stress to go down. And that's Mm -hmm. when you see positive results. And I've seen positive results with women that just start to trust in the, the eating experience. And I've seen them become loose with the rules maybe they had once had where they are letting themselves indulge here and there and do different things. And I've seen their bodies positively respond, even just eliminating the stress where now if they are eating a French fry that one day, they're loving the experience. They've let go of some of the structure and the stress has gone and now they're enjoying this moment. And even that has had a profound effect on their image, their body, the, the actual physical body itself. So I think Again, those two words and how one, mm. build trust and reduce stress and you'll find your opening to your, your version of your optimal health. Stress is really a big one. I totally feel that just in myself, how my body responds to stress and it doesn't matter what I'm eating or how I'm eating it. It just isn't like being received well <laughs> and digestion and everything. So thank you for, for weaving that in and offering so much of just your wisdom and experience. And you have such a warm, inviting way that you offer this wisdom and you work with people and, and how you talk about food. It just makes me want to cook talking to you. <laughs> It's been so, so nice to chat with you. So happy to have this time with you and just get to know you more and have our listeners hear more about the cleanse, more about food, nutrition, how to take better care of ourselves. So thank you. Thank you for your time. And uh, Michaela is going to be sharing her favorite recipe on the cleanse. You can check that out. You can check out the information on the cleanse if there's something you're interested in. Right now, the favorite recipe that I think the viewers should look to is, so there's this one tempeh cabbage wrap that I thought was so interesting and cool, especially for people that are trying the plant-based week. And because we wanted to keep the ingredients down, there was a little bit of shaved onion in one part and a little bit of grated in another. Cause I was like, don't, don't add too many ingredients. So I find this I find this one so unique because it tastes like a little fragrant cilantro burrito Mm, and it's beautiful and it's got so much flavor and it was so simple and it's got high plant-based protein. And that one to me was innovative across the board and something interesting for people to try. Sounds delicious. It is. Yay. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Joining Michaela. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.
The class at its core is a movement practice. If you're not already a digital student, try our 14-day free trial by downloading our app or going to digitalstudio.theclass.com. To view our shop, learn about our teachers, and explore more, please visit theclass.com or follow us on Instagram at theclass. To view the recipe Michaela mentioned, please check out the description of this episode. This week in the Class Digital Studio, we have a new music collaboration with the band Moaning and new on-demand content from Aaron, Natalie, and Nat Coons. If you haven't yet bought your ticket, the next remote retreatment is this Saturday, February 6th, hosted by Saray Wilson and Ashley Rucker.